You're listening to the Team Guru Podcast, bringing to life the theory and principles of leadership. We've all experienced the gap that exists within organisations between strategy and execution. Between the bigwigs that sit in a room and dream up the future and the people on the ground who are going to make it happen. In fact, you could present a case that the gap between strategy and execution is the dominant dynamic in most organisations. Hello and welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. My name's David Frizzell and in this episode we're going to talk with author, speaker and strategy guru Jeff Schuiso about that all-too-common golf of organizational effectiveness. Jeff makes the case that projects are the missing link between strategy and execution. He says that by projectifying our work, we can best leverage the capability of an entire organization so that strategy is a continuous process. And of course, he's got some pretty serious comments to make on the changing nature of the strategic process itself. I ask him all the big questions in the conversation you're about to hear, and towards the end of our chat, Jeff will tell you where you can get your hands on a free copy of his book. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Jeff Schuiso. So welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Jeff, in your new book, Projectify, you advocate that projects are the missing link between strategy and execution, that almighty mystifying no man's land that every organization has to deal with. I'm intrigued by that. I love the concept. It appeals to me just superficially and, and more so as I read through your work, Tell us what you mean by the whole projectify concept. And just as importantly, I'm intrigued, after all your time in the business helping organizations turn strategy into action, how did you land on that concept of projectify as the thing that you decided to write a book about? Well, starting starting with the first idea, I believe that we are entering an era where exceptional businesses are going to be the product of exceptional workplaces. Mm. because they're as dynamic as the business environment is in today's world, there is a need to have strategy making that evolves at the pace of change and is nimble enough to actually move the business in different directions in the face of uncertainty. And the way to create those sorts of exceptional workplaces is to engage your people in the strategic journey. Because then they start to shape both the business that they're a part of, as well as the workplace that drives that business forward. And engaging people in the strategic journey is best done through some sort of vehicle. And projects are, I believe, the best vehicle because it creates a bridge between the business and its people without having to do it through some intermediary artificial means, if you will. And importantly, it's it's a what I call a two-way bridge, because it, it connects strategic intent with operational action and activity, 
And the bridge, if you will, is between thinking and doing. So it's all well and good to say we we think this is where we want to take the business from a strategic perspective. Somebody has to do that. And projects give imbue that strategic intent with action and activity. But importantly, that action and activity then can be used to inform your strategic intent. So what clarity comes on the other side of action in today's business world and today's world more generally. Look, there's, I've got a bunch of questions from just what you said there because it's so <laughs> rich. There's a, there's, a, there's a lot to that. I'll, I'll get to that in a minute, but but I, I am intrigued as to through everything that you've seen, all of the efforts that you have seen through your career. And I think, did I read in your book, 30 years as a consultant helping organizations? Is, is it about that? 30 years engaged in the execution or use of projects in some way. So I, for a very long time, I was a project manager. Right. So in all that time and everything you've seen, you've landed on this as the golden nugget that you're offering the world, your wisdom. <laughs> well, how did you land on that? Well, the, so I spent a, about 25 years as a project manager. And as a project manager, I was kind of always a student of the project management game. But pretty early on in my career, I realized that traditional sort of management practices weren't enough to guarantee success. And came to realize that the real goal, if you will, to be mined in driving exceptional outcomes from complex business situations, which is what a project is, generally speaking, is in actually helping teams be good at doing the work of the project and getting them clear on what you're trying to accomplish, what sort of return you're looking for from those project investments. And so I moved from the world of managing projects to helping other organizations execute more projects more effectively. And as I moved from individual projects into organizational development work around projects, and largely with um, project delivery organizations, either owner-operators or contractors, you start moving into the world of strategy. So how do we actually start thinking differently about the way we do projects? How do we start thinking differently about the way we procure projects? And you start to have those conversations with project delivery organizations and realize that they don't bring a particularly project-focused mindset to the world of change and driving strategy forward. And suddenly, hold on a second, it isn't necessarily, at this level, it isn't necessarily about doing projects better. It's about using projects better. And projects are a powerful thing if, if we use them effectively. If we understand that a project is an investment and we want to do everything that we can to maximize the return on that investment. All right. So very soon, I'm going to get you to talk through some of the principles that underpin what you mean by projects and what makes them so powerful in this this space. And I'll also get you to give us a few examples of where you've really seen it work, where a project might not otherwise have been used to turn strategy into into action, but it was and and it really worked. But before we get there... I want to go back to something, a few things you were saying earlier about the new era of the the nimble strategic development. We can't do this this whole five, you know, it could take two or three years to create a five and a 10-year plan. <laughs> That's not the way businesses will survive anymore because we can't just respond. We need to be proactive and on top of the changes because as you say in your book, you will be disrupted. Technology will change your business. It's just a case of whether you're on top of it to make it work for you 
or if you're responding and, and always playing catch up. So given that, it presents for me this this paradox that I can't get my head around. <laughs> in some ways in the world, it seems like the number of businesses are declining. You know, with these, you know, we, we've been told for years about in the supermarket, if you're you're buying groceries in the supermarket, really there are just like five companies that all have that own all of these different brands. So on the one hand, I, my intuition is telling me that the big companies are getting bigger and taking over the world to the point where one day we might end up with one mega company that owns everything. But on the other hand, the way we look at change and technology and interruption and everything else that goes with it, it actually sounds as though smaller, modern, more agile, nimble companies will be those that thrive in the future. So between those two paradoxes, where does the truth actually lie? Well, I, th I think there, what we're seeing is both of those situations happening in the same space, that, but mm. they live in sort of disparate elements of the business landscape is the way I'll say it. So what you're starting to see is the large, highly conglomerated businesses that are a collection of different largely industrial businesses are slowly fading away. And GE is some would argue is the last version of that sort of large industrial conglomerate that we're starting to see is, is struggling because that sort of business model struggles in the face of a very highly dynamic business landscape. What you're starting to see is the growth of larger conglomerates that are, in fact, from a tradition that is much more entrepreneurial and has been able to hold on to albeit at times they've lost and come back to it, that nimbleness that sort of sets the entrepreneurial businesses apart. And recognizing that entrepreneurial businesses fail much more readily than they succeed. Yeah. So, so there are elements of that business type that you want to bring to the large organization, but you, won't, you don't want to necessarily become the gunslinging startup that's down the street in their garage. So I think there are both things happening. Do you want team and leadership development programs that actually work? Contact Team Guru today so we can start the conversation. So those stereotypes about the old, enormous, slow-moving organisations that we used to think were going to take over the world, what you're saying is they actually are dying away because of those qualities, that they're not nimble they move too slowly and they, they're still doing strategy the old way. And then there's this other thing happening where those organizations that started off as these really small, as you say, gun-slinging startups, some of them have success and turn into these big, massive behemoths. But mm -hmm. the ones that are going to survive are the ones that, even though they grow and become large in size, can keep those qualities of the nibble, agile, gun-slinging startup. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. And, and it, it's done in a way that it's channeled. So as you get larger as an organization, you want to have a purpose, if you will, that mm. sort of binds that organization together. And one of the things that's happened with the GEs of the world was happening to the IBMs of the world before Lou Gertzner came in and, and brought it back together is you, you start to see them breaking away from that sort of core sense of common purpose. And so 
what you want to ensure is that that common purpose is a shared purpose. And so, yes, be nimble, go out and experiment, but do it in a controlled way and do it in a way that serves that shared purpose, that has a high level of strategic value. It's not just an individual's desire to take off and, and run with a clever idea without some organizational control is a, is a harsh word, some, some organ, organizational guidance around how those investments are made. So last question on this before we get specifically to projects and projectifying. When you think about these, these uh, amazing startups that have turned into the unicorns, tell me what you see there. Do you see some of them doing a good job at clinging on to those startup characteristics that made them successful in the first place? Which ones are doing a good job of that? And which ones are turning into the antithesis of how they started? Which ones started nimble and agile and have have made the mistake of growing into a slow-moving, layered behemoth? Look, I think I'll start with the other side of the equation. The organizations that have that are doing it very, very well at the moment, Google is one of those. So they've actually they've started to um, someone criticize them for losing some of some of that extreme nimbleness they had when they when they began as an organization. But what they've allowed themselves to do is to maintain that sort of nimbleness, that sort of forward thinking and future focused drive by keeping relatively small units, being really, really right. focused on how do we actually work effectively as small teams. And so yep. when somebody goes to Google to be employed, the price of entry is your genius. You know, yep. you show up through the door, you've got the technical qualifications, the requisite experience for the role that you're you're going to um, you're applying for, but what they're really looking for when when they interview their people is how well are you going to work with not only people like you but people that aren't like you. How well are you going to perform in a in a team and use that team environment to generate something that you then take away and develop further on your own. And so so they've been very very um, intentional about studying what sort of team environments are successful. What are the things that drive good teams? What are the things that we can be doing with our people that continues to engage them and motivate them to push forward as opposed to settle into a role and collect you know, relatively large salaries? Yeah. And, and become slow and comfortable hmm, and yeah. all of those things that we described yeah. before. So really, Google's part of Google's success is the fact that if you're to work for them, your commitment and loyalty really lies in this small little unit of a project. And you're not really, I mean, you are, you're part of a big, enormous organization, but you're actually just part of a small team that's working on something very specific. Is, is that the key to their success? That is certainly one of the keys to their success. And also the leadership to know that we can't allow strategy to become a manifesto for doing what we've always done. The power and strategy is that it continues to look to the future where where the next steps to be taking, where next do we take the business and not just at the big picture level, but even at the small picture level, what's the next new product? And they do that by the way they've flattened their organization, the, the way they've created this sort of team teams and environment that cascades down into what I sort of a, a distributed model of how the various units in their business interact with one another. All right. So that's how Google is staying fresh and, and staying nimble and agile. 
Uh, sorry, I think I cut you off there. Feel free to finish. But then, but then I, I'd love to hear about the other side that that, that organisation that started that way, but has has follow, fallen down the bleak path. Well, I think a really good example is actually well, there are two of them that are that have moved in very similar directions. Were both Microsoft and Apple. Right. So they were organisations very nimble, very agile, cutting edge, very um, purpose driven businesses, and became entrenched in a very, a very stagnated, very um, doing what we've always done mentality around the way they were working until they got a kickstart either from the marketplace or because they, in Apple's case, because they, they brought their former, their founder back and, and, and he drove that sort of kickstart. So those are organizations that if you, if you track their trajectory, they were headed there. They were very much businesses that started out as the penultimate, you know, the, um, the, the architectural startup. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, startup, technology startup in particular, and then fell into that large, heavy, trudging sort of conglomerate beast before they started to say, hold on a second, the, the landscape is changing here and we need to do some, some different things, future focused things that see us out at, out at the front edge of where the marketplace is taking us so that we can adapt quickly if we need to adapt. But more importantly, Apple's case, start to be the disruptive force that other people are reacting to. Yeah, look, that's that's fast. I really love talking about that type of stuff. I'm not one of these guys that stays on top of large organizations and CEOs and movements around that. But when I hear someone who does stay on top of that kind of stuff like you do, I always find it really fascinating because you don't see that as a consumer. As a consumer that doesn't look under the hood, you can miss the signs of that. I'm sure eventually as a consumer, we would see the signs of a of an organization that used to be sexy and on top of their game has stagnated. Eventually we will see that. But People who, who keep their finger on the pulse always always have the, the forerunning information. And I mean, one of my favorite organizations is 3M. Mm-hmm. Because, what do they do? Because for decades, they have been one of the most innovative businesses in the world. And now most of us think 3M, scotch tape, post-it notes. Right. Okay. Yeah. You know, maybe adhesive products and construction, that sort of thing. Their range, they have more patents than any other organization in the world, but their range of products is mind boggling to say the very least. And they have for four decades been the most consistently profitable company in the world. And what's their secret sauce? And it is because they simply have never taken a step back from looking to their people to drive the business forward, to be the, the engine of discovery, innovation, and at a leadership level, they encourage that. They put structure around it. They support their people in doing it, enable them in a myriad of different ways to be that engine as opposed to centralized command and control. What we want are compliant little cogs in the machine. Yeah, soldiers, foot soldiers. Foot soldiers, exactly right. Yeah, we, we, we send you the strategy from head office and uh, mm-hmm. you guys do what we say. Exactly right. Which is what, what you are advocating against in your book. All right, well, let's move to that now because, as I say, that, that is fascinating. I could ask you about businesses all night because it sounds like, as I say, you've got your finger on the pulse about the way they operate and the way they turn their strategy into action or not. Mm-hmm. Tell us about some of the success stories you've had 
in projectifying that space between strategy and execution where traditionally maybe it wouldn't have been turned into a project and maybe wouldn't have been successful? What's your uh, glamour story? So I guess taking a slight step back, one of the things that I advocate in terms of the type of strategic projects you do is to move away from large transformational projects and start to do much smaller, short duration, single specific strategic targeted outcome type projects. So what we often see is that businesses love to do large transformational change projects as a part of the projects they do in strategy because it's worth their time and attention. It's worth leaders focusing in on and, and getting the whole organization behind and that sort of thing. And those sorts of projects have an abysmal record of actually generating business value. And so what you, in today's world, what you want to do is give your business the chance to be successful in delivering the outcomes on the projects that you choose to do. So I believe one of the most effective ways to do that is to break them down into smaller, chunky pieces to move your strategy forward consistently and persistently in a stepwise fashion with small, high-value projects that allow you to to take a step down on the strategic journey, so to speak. And then on the other side of those steps down, down the path, you have greater clarity around where the next step should be. So importantly, when I talk about projects, it's doing a portfolio of projects that are very specifically selected because of their high strategic value and your organization's ability to successfully complete them, the capacity to actually take on those strategic activities in addition to their day jobs, the ongoing operation of the business. I'm sure there's a lot of reasons why you find that so successful, but I guess high on the list would be the fact that the people in the organization who are being asked to change can get their head around small projects one at a time, and they can see a tangible beginning and an end. Now we do dif- this differently. We get this benefit out of out of it. We can embed that. Okay, great. Done that. Now what's next? Rather than this huge transformation program of work, which seems so big and so difficult to and cumbersome that a lot of people in the organization might just think, well, this will never get over the line. This will never happen. Is is that somewhere near the truth of it? That is very definitely one, one of the big elements of it. Because when you have big transformational change projects, first and foremost, your, your organization isn't set up to do those very well because that's not what they do mm. normally. Yeah. And people are busy. And so they don't have a lot of time to suddenly move away from the day-to-day operation of the business and focus on big transformational change projects. But also, and this is probably most importantly, and I think this is what you're getting at, is people then feel disconnected to the strategic value in what they're doing when they're one small pocket of a large transformational change. They don't necessarily understand how what they're doing in this, this corner of strategic activity is how that's going to shape the business moving forward, how it is creating strategic value for the business. And so when you start to really connect those smaller, more tangible projects to your strategic intent, what represents strategic value, then people can understand how what they are doing drives the business forward, how it is making a difference in moving the business toward 
its strategic goals and objectives, how it's serving its over, overarching purpose. And when they do that, then the success on those projects, the progress that you make successfully delivering those projects is one of the most powerful internal motivators for a workforce. Yeah. Yeah. They get used to winning. Yeah, absolutely. And even small wins on something that's meaningful makes people want to win more. They want to make more progress. When they see other people making progress that potentially impacts them, then they say, I want to have a bit of that. I want to be a part of making that same progress, shaping my own world. And importantly, on the other side of doing that work, they've had a hand in crafting it. So you start to manage this resistance to change, which is largely a reaction to the uncertainty around large change. If they can see it, it's tangible. They see how it connects to to value and also see how it will impact on them individually, then that resistance to change starts to melt away. And the ability to then translate that into the operational environment is greater. The outcomes you get are better. And it, it creates this upward spiral of creativity, productivity, and, and engagement that will drive the business in, into the future and make it that, create that sort of nimble and adaptive organization. Whether it's a half-day energizer session or a comprehensive team and leadership program, Team Guru's unique approach could be just what the doctor ordered for your organization. Look, that's all very logical and, and rational, Jeff, and you present it in such a, a clear, straightforward way. It, it's hard to argue with. It, it sounds like the right kind of approach. It, it makes a lot of sense, and we know why organizations will need some shaping up to do that because they like to be responsive. They've drafted this strategy. They think this big bang, impressive, massive transformation work is going to change everything. And it sounds great. And it's a great announcement. But the reality of the real world is that we're dealing with people and we want people to have wins. We want them to see and have an achievable goal in the near term. And they want to see the way that those mini projects or those projects are connected to one big meaningful outcome. I like it, mate. Now tell us something about uh, a project that you're really proud of, something that you got over the line, you convinced the client that they needed to change their thinking to this project, a FI method of, of delivering it and it's, and it's worked. So I've spent almost two years working with, um, I'm sure they won't mind me. Naming them because I put them in an article, um, Power Core City Power here in, in electric utility here in Victoria, specifically in their field services group. So the people that maintain the um, poles and wires. And right. They are, interestingly enough, they're, they're a relatively successful business. And so oftentimes the impetus for improvement is some sort of crisis, but unique yeah. to them, they have very much an improvement mindset. So, look, we want to start to look at how our field services group, which is fundamentally made up of, of blue collar workforce, might help to drive this operational excellence that really underpins our entire organization. Because our, our ability to maintain electricity to homes, our ability to maintain a network that eliminates the risk of bushfires, so, and that's loss of life and property damage. Our ability to meet customer needs drives customer service. So this operational excellence piece is something we want to really try to drive into what we're doing in our field services work. And and to date, it's largely been this top-down, go do better work, be more productive, 
cogs yeah. in the machine, be good foot, foot soldiers. Yeah. And, and so we, we started rolling out initially what I call a strategic roadmap. So let's, let's understand how your overarching business strategy, what represents strategic value for your business, might connect directly to the improvement opportunities that live within your world. Then let's talk about the projects that will allow you to realize those improvement opportunities. The work of connecting strategy to improvement opportunities was largely done by their management team. But the work that was done to start to identify the projects that would actually allow them to realize those improvement opportunities were done by what they call their field leaders, which are effectively people that run their field field crews, their their depots. So very much in op- very much in operations, very much operation managers. Very, very, very much operations managers. A lot of them have come out of blue collar work histories. So actually being line linesmen or, or um, electricians or other other types of technical people and moved into those those leadership roles. And as we were setting up what we call a strategic exploration with those teams, the management team was saying we're kind of nervous a little bit. You know, these guys are very operational, very hands-on, detail-focused guys. Their ability to talk strategy over the course of, of a two-day session, we're concerned that we may not get there. And Yeah, which is a typical mindset in an organization when we're, you know, between yeah. senior leadership and the, and the doers in the business. Yeah, the thinkers and the doers. And, yeah. and so, so look, you need to trust your people because they will give you amazing if you allow them to believe that you really want their input because the reason yeah. you haven't heard it before is because nobody's asked them and yeah. and sure enough we generated a total of 47 projects over the course of a and day and a half actually <laughs> that were not detailed but were detailed enough where they they weren't just a single line on a flip chart there was, okay, this is the outcome we want to try to achieve. These are the things we think we would need to do to achieve that outcome. And this is how it links to that improvement opportunity. And then over the course of the next year and a half, we've rolled out a series of portfolios once a quarter between five and seven projects, I believe, that we've selected because they're the highest strategic value that they think they have the capacity to work on. And out of those total of be now 22 projects, they've successfully completed a total of 18 or 19 of those projects. Sorry, I can't remember my numbers off the top of my head. (laughs) Well, that's pretty close. Yeah. As they've delivered the outcome that the team themselves set out to deliver. And do you see a real buoying of spirits through the organization as people at all levels are involved in this design of the projects and then are involved in planning and implementing and, and sending it live? Is it Has it sort of set a bit of electricity through the culture of the organization? Oh, it, it most definitely. And, and what you actually see is the value is beyond just the project. So, mm, you, you, start, so you start to create different sorts of relationships, it's particularly when they're um, cross business unit initiatives. Well, construction guys have to do work with design guys. Now, all of a sudden, they build some relationships that expand beyond that specific project scope and breaks down that us and them barrier. Absolutely. And, they, and you start to look for improvement opportunities. 
one particular project that we did was, and this is a classic in many organizations, there was a large piece of technology software that was being brought in to manage the business. And much of the management of that implementation was being driven by the, the software people. And so their number one goal was, let's get this thing rolled out. Let's get it installed and up and running without necessarily a broad-based concern for what that meant to the operating environment, how it was actually going to be used to enable value on the ground. And so the field leaders were quite concerned that this thing is going to get shoved down our throat. And then we got to figure out how to make it work. And so one of our projects was to create a team that would sort of a readiness team that would put them in a position to better receive this software once it was being implemented by IT people fundamentally. And what you started to see very, very quickly was not only did they roll out the software across the course of the year, which is one of their number one strategic initiatives because they invested tens of millions of dollars in it, but the way that they actually started to use that system was driving more business value than they really thought they were going to get out of the first year's implementation. And it also well, started you, to do... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, you're right. I, I was just about to say, look, it, it must be so rewarding for you to do that type of work and, and watch an organization come to life and break down those internal barriers and actually see some bite-sized tangible results from the work they're doing. And And I'm sorry to have cut you off there, Jeff, but We've only got a few minutes left, mate, and I, and I know that you've, as you've told your story, you've done a great job of outlining for us the principles that you cling to and that you think through, the, the lens through which you think. But just summarize for us the really important parts of this. If we're to think at a principle conceptual level about your projectify philosophy, essentially, what are those big chunky concepts that we must always keep in mind? First and foremost, strategy isn't something you have, it's something you do. Nice. Fundamentally, strategy comes from a military roots, but business strategy has evolved to be this very static, analytical discipline, largely because we want to try to create some level of certainty around what's inherently an uncertain environment. And that environment is just getting more and more uncertain. So what military strategists understood was planning is the thing that's indispensable. It's not the plan. And so strategy making that believes that the plan is the ultimate goal will always fail and fail to deliver anything close to the same sort of business value as strategy making that recognizes that action and activity that allows you to adapt and evolve in an uncertain environment is what really sets the best businesses apart. That's a good one. All right, what's next? Well, how many of these are there? Oh, gosh, I could go on for a long time. Um, <laughs> probably the, the next piece is if you are going to be an adaptive organization, your power is in the skills, experience, and thinking of your people. If you can make your people the engine that drives your strategy forward in a consistent and persistent way, that frees up leadership to be the navigational system, to set strategic direction, to synthesize the results of that strategic activity, and 
decide what that means for where you go next as, as a business, how you use that information in combination with what's happening in the marketplace and, and your customers' desires to set the best possible course for your business. So your people, the people on the front lines of delivering business value, need to be the engine that drives your strategy forward. And leaders need to navigate. So strategy is not something you have, it's something you do. And it's your people's skills and experience that you must allow to drive the strategy forward. Mm -hmm. That's nice. That's a great place to leave it, Jeff. Look, I'm fascinated by your philosophy, mate. It, it sounds so logical and rational, and the way you describe it is is really very convincing. I really appreciate you coming on the show to tell us about it. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's a lot of fun. Well, actually, actually now, now, Jeff, what we did, we we you we forgot to say at the beginning that you're <sighs> offering people of my listeners to my podcast a free ebook. I got all excited at the beginning and f- forgot to mention that. So <laughs> tell us about the ebook. They can find it on my website. What do they get with the ebook when they follow that link? So when they follow the link to the ebook, it will have three different electronic versions that basically fit any e-reader that your listeners use. So there's Kindle version, there's Nook and other versions, as well as a PDF version and a PDF document that actually tells you how to take those files and upload it on to your favorite e-reader. And it's as, as simple as click on the link that you'll provide in your show notes, share your email address, you'll get a download link, and um, it's yours to test drive. There you the, go. Yeah, test drive the ideas and see, see how you can start to projectify your own business environment. Fabulous. So just go to uh, the podcast page for this episode, which is at uh, teams with an S dot guru. I'll have the link there under the projectify episode. You can follow that link, download it, read it. It's a good read. It's it's just such a, a great concept. As I keep saying, it's so logical and rational and well explained. Jeff, I really appreciate you coming on the show and offering the, the, the listeners a free book. It's very kind of you. My pleasure. I want to get the ideas out there because We need better workplaces. (laughs) Good on you, Jeff. Thanks, mate. Thanks, David. Appreciate it. And that was Jeff Schwieso. The idea of projectifying our work to bridge that gap between strategy and execution. There is something simple, alluring, and convincing about it, especially when you hear Jeff make his case with such experienced passion. And if you like what you heard from Jeff, don't forget to jump on the Team Guru website where we'll post the link to where you can download his book for exactly $0. It'll be on the Lessons Learned page for this podcast where, as always, I'll share the lessons I took from my conversation with Jeff. You'll find it along with the entire back catalogue of Team Guru podcasts on our website. That's teamswithans.guru forward slash podcast. Connect with me on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud or LinkedIn and join me for the next episode on this, my mission to bring to life the theory and principles of leadership. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now.